Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. Of all the five senses, our hearing is perhaps the most precious. If we lose it, we lose contact with the people we love and the world around us. Humans evolved our acute hearing millions of years ago when we needed to accurately locate predators that might eat us. So it's not surprising that we find some loud noises stressful. It's hardwired into each of us. This week, we're going to examine noise pollution and how it's impacting our health. We've been grappling with how to deal with this issue for a very long time. Julius Caesar was the first to regulate road noise back in 44 BC. He declared that no wheeled vehicle whatsoever will be allowed within the precincts of the city from sunrise until the hour before dusk. Nearly 2,000 years later, the U.S. recognized that noise pollution was a serious health problem, and in 1972, Congress found that inadequately controlled noise presents a growing danger to the health and welfare of the nation's population, particularly in urban areas, and that major sources of noise include transportation vehicles and equipment, machinery, appliances, and other products in commerce. It passed the Noise Control Act and later the Quiet Communities Act, and gave EPA the responsibility for implementation. So far, so good. In 1978, the U.S. Surgeon General William Stewart said, Calling noise pollution a nuisance is like calling smog an inconvenience. Noise must be considered a hazard to the health of people everywhere. Because of heavy lobbying by the automobile and airplane industries, The words of the Surgeon General and even the anti-noise statutes were largely ignored and three years later at the start of the Reagan administration, EPA's Office of Noise Abatement and Control was completely defunded. States and localities were given the job of dealing with noise and the result is that the US is now behind much of the world when it comes to tackling noise pollution. The World Health Organization, based in Berlin, is now the global authority on the impacts of noise. It describes noise as a vastly underestimated threat, which can cause everything from hearing loss to heart issues to depression to stress and even cognitive impairment. Last year, a German company called Mimi that makes online hearing tests produced a world hearing index based on data from their 500,000 users worldwide. The data shows that a person living in the loudest cities like Guangzhou in China... experienced 20 years of accumulated hearing loss. So a 40-year-old has the hearing normally associated with a 60-year-old. The Mimi study showed a 64% correlation between noise pollution and hearing loss. In broad terms, air pollution and noise pollution coexist. Cars, trucks, and factories produce a lot of both. In the US, we spent a great deal of time successfully reducing air pollution from vehicles and other sources. However, what science is now discovering is that long-term exposure to traffic noise actually has a big impact on our blood biochemistry, which affects our cardiovascular system and has been linked to instances of type 2 diabetes. 
The World Health Organization reports that noise pollution is responsible for the loss of more than one million life years in Europe each year, with a majority of deaths attributable to high blood pressure, stroke and heart attacks. The medical explanation for what's going on is that a stress hormone called cortisol is released when triggered by noise, and cortisol damages blood vessels over time. We release cortisol because we're hardwired to be scared of loud noises, so it's not surprising that noise pollution is also blamed for 900,000 cases of hypertension a year in Europe alone. Noise from traffic and planes is classified as ambient noise pollution, whereas your neighbor's house party is defined as a nuisance. In the case of nuisance noise, there's lots of things you can do, from contacting local government to initiating a legal remedy. But with noise pollution from traffic and increasingly from construction, there are very few options. Enjoying a quiet life is now seen as a luxury for which you have to pay. Houses next to busy roads are loud and most often occupied by lower-income families who have fewer housing options. As we heard in episode 19, Coded Inequality, low-income communities who are often already compromised when it comes to their health get hit again by noise pollution. A 2015 study in Germany found that those living next to noisy streets were 25% more likely to suffer from depression than those living in quieter neighborhoods. In the U.S., studies show that the more economically divided and racially segregated the city, the worse the noise pollution for everyone, rich and low income. This seems borne out by the list of the 10 loudest cities in the U.S., which are Detroit, Oakland, Memphis, Philadelphia, Miami, Chicago, Atlanta, San Francisco, Houston, and Jacksonville. Later in the show, we'll talk with June Weintraub and Jonathan Piakas, who oversee noise reduction programs in San Francisco. But first... I wanted to spend a full day recording the sounds that are increasingly driving me to distraction. Most people have a romantic view of our city by the bay, thinking that the air is filled with the sounds of cable cars and seagulls. But the reality, as we just heard, is that San Francisco is one of the noisiest cities in the country. Okay, let's start my day. I wake up to my alarm which is not at all peaceful. Maybe I need to replace it with something more soothing. The morning sounds continue at 7 a.m. when construction begins next door. Just never ends. Where there's currently a floor sanding project. Then the school bus stops and idles, which is soon after followed by the recycling and composting truck. Next up are the gardeners who tend to the postage stamp size plots who now arrive on the scene. First comes the leaf blowers, which are the bane of anyone who records a podcast at home and in fact a nightmare to all sentient beings. Just when I think they've packed it in for the day, out comes the lawnmowers to cut the three foot by five foot yard down the street. And then to add insult to injury, they pull out the power washer. As much as I like clean sidewalks, I hate these ear-splitting machines. I decide to get the hell out of the house and go downtown early for a meeting. I start by walking down Twin Peaks, passing a truck, reversing down a narrow alley, of course delivering Amazon packages. 
This is already turning out to be a less peaceful day than I had imagined. I keep walking, trying to stay zen as both an ambulance and then a new hellhound police car equipped with what's known as a rumble siren zooms by. Finally, I get to the train platform. There's the train. Actually, the train comes, sounds kind of quiet compared to everything else. Getting off the train, there's a Fox Eye in the Sky TV crew filming something from a helicopter above. It's like I'm in Blade Runner 3. Everywhere around me is construction. I pass by a huge cement mixer. Then the screeching tracks of an ancient bulldozer moving the steel grates on the street. And then the construction site for one of the city's many new 40-plus story luxury condo buildings appears to my left. Downtown San Francisco is at sea level, so in order to build anything, they need to smash steel posts 300 feet into the ground at which point they hit bedrock, which is needed to support the skyscraper. The tool that is used to do this is not quiet. I promise that we're nearly done, but first I want to bring you to the last remaining low-income communities in San Francisco, which are all next to freeways. And where car alarms seem to be going off. Now I walk over to the houses next to Highway 101, which goes all the way down to L.A. Standing next to the highway, it's no wonder that people's health are affected from having to put up with this cacophony day in and day out. The levels of ambient noise pollution are just completely out of control, and it's low-income communities that suffer the most. That's one reason why in cities across the nation, there's such a huge gap in mortality between the rich and poor. Bizarrely, right where I'm standing is a trauma ward for SF General Hospital. I hope they've got good soundproofed windows. The Bayview community of San Francisco is also right under the flight path to the airport, so there really is no rest for the weary. It's been the end of a noisy day, but somehow I have one more event on my calendar, a fun party at my wife Alex's art studio. The next day, I go and meet with June Weintraub and Jonathan Piakas, who both work at the San Francisco Department of Public Health. June oversees the noise program, and Jonathan is the noise control officer. I start by asking Jonathan what's keeping him busy. There's a number of different noise issues in, in the city, probably in the, in the thousands per, per year. I just looked this up. And the police department last year fielded 28,213 noise-related calls. There's uh, just a lot of development in the city. So there's a a lot of uh, construction compliance that come in. Um, We also get a bunch from entertainment venues, whether it's live music um, or DJs, clubs, um, stuff like that. We get um, traffic complaints. We'll get your... Um, standard house party, you know, complaints. Um, we, we get a little bit of everything. We, we've seen, every time I, I think I see, well, now I've seen it all, there'll be a new complaint and, and one we haven't seen before. Most recently, um, it was outdoor fish tanks, um, which I had never even thought of as a noise source. 
you always hear about the barking dog complaints, and those are pretty, pretty regular. I did get a cat complaint. Um, it was nine cats were the, the noise source there. Not much we can we can do about that, but we we gave it a shot to try and uh, try and resolve the issue for the residents. So when I say we've seen it all, we've we've literally seen it all, or I guess heard it all. So, what's your expectation of, of the level of noise that's acceptable? Like, how, how do we define that? Noise is very difficult because just people experience it in different ways. What what might be a um, exorbitant amount of noise to one person may not be uh, for another one. So the the good thing is we do have you know meters available that'll put a number on it. What we say in general for for most issues, um, it, it's an eight decibel above a background level. So eight decibels above ambient um, is a is a general level for like a commercial mixed use kind of kind of area. That's what that's what we shoot for um, with that. And then inside residential dwelling units, it's a little a little more stringent. Um, and it's a, a flat rate of, of 45 decibels for night and 55 decibels. We want to make sure it's quieter at night when people are, you know, there getting the, the sleep that they need to, to kind of function in everyday life. Decibels are the units used to measure the intensity of a sound. The decibel scale is logarithmic, which means that a 50 decibel sound is 10 times louder than a 40 decibel sound, even though it's only perceived as about twice as loud. The reason for this odd measurement system is because the human ear is incredibly sensitive. We can hear everything from our fingertips, slightly brushing our face, to a loud engine. For instance, the noise a jet produces is about one trillion times more powerful than the smallest audible sound. As a way of giving you a sense of what this means, in this following clip of a highway, the first five seconds is 10 decibels louder than the second half of the clip. I saw on the website that they could start jackhammering at seven in the morning. How do people come up with that? We have a very lenient, kind of generous con- construction uh, restrictions in, in the noise ordinance. It's 7 a.m. To, to 8 p.m. even, so it can go a little l- later than that. And then they could also um, obtain a night noise permit for, for some stuff outside of those those hours. It is seven days a week, so a lot of other jurisdictions do not allow it on, on the weekends. Um, but our powers that be decided that a, a, 7 a, a 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. would, would be allowable for, for every day of the week. It's actually shocking that San Francisco doesn't have a single day of quiet. Noise is, like Jonathan said, a perception issue. And one person's noise is another person's music. There are some things that we agree on, and that's part of what we try to do with the noise ordinance, is say, well, I think we all can agree that jackhammering at 11 p.m. is noise. And um, even if it serves some greater good, like building affordable housing, it is still not okay to raise people's heart rates and their cortisol levels, wake them up, disturb their sleep, all of the things that noise, any kind of thing that is irritating is going to bother people and potentially cause uh, some sort of health problem. So that's the line that we try to walk. So let's let's use a jackhammer because it's kind of a universally understood. I mean, I guess it does make sense that at you know, 11 p.m., it shouldn't be operational. But for me, 
in a residential neighborhood. I work at home. I run a podcast at 11 a.m. It's still very, very, very loud. In case you needed it, here's a reminder from yesterday of the sound of jackhammering. But let's pretend that there was a quieter jackhammer available, a lower decibel level jackhammer that, you know, how would you change the rules so that the construction companies could only use lower decibel jackhammers? Yeah, so jackhammering, wow, it's a tough one because inherently it's just loud um, and you can only get it so quiet. So what what we have... Um, a little clause in, in the noise ordinance that we seem to like, and it seems to be working working pretty well, is that none of the noise limits really apply. The, obviously, the time restriction does, but if you can prove to us that that jackhammer that you're using is retrofitted with the best available noise control technology, then the actual decibel limit for construction will not apply. So basically what we're trying to do is say, get it as quiet as humanly possible, and then you can use it during those times. Um, but with that, the contractors have to show us that they do have the best available muffler from the manufacturer or shroud or other attenuation device to make it as quiet as possible. Because if, if we can do that, make it as quiet as possible, we feel pretty good about, uh, about what we've done and, and reducing the impact for surrounding neighbors. Are we going to get to a place where rather than saying you're using the best available noise control technology to limit the sound of the jackhammer, that you can't use a jackhammer at all. You've got to use shovels and hand picks. And for instance, I was just in the um, wilderness areas of the National Forest. They don't allow any chainsaws. So every tree has to be cut by hand. They don't say you have to use the quietest chainsaw. You just can't use a chainsaw. So is there going to be a point, like I'm ready for that point right now, where we don't have any jackhammers in the city at any time? You just got to use shovels. There's some things that you can sensibly regulate, and there are some that you can't. Where do you draw the line between what makes sense and what is ideal? My experience as a regulator is that standards were promulgated for clean water or clean air based on epidemiological studies that showed that this amount of arsenic is actually bad for you and isn't acceptable in water or this amount of particulate matter or mercury in air is bad for you. So I guess I'm trying to get to with noise, is there a similar trend or is it really just balancing these social interests? I also think noise is different because it doesn't accumulate. There isn't a um, single quantity that persists through you know time and space. It changes the objective measurement that we have of it is only one piece of why and how it causes a health problem. Another big part of our guidance for noise in the city that we try to promote is kind of the idea of getting along with your neighbors. Something's bothering you, figure out how to, you know, talk. Safety issues sometimes often enter into whether we care about a noise or not, whether we care about an annoying, potentially sleep-disrupting, cortisol-raising noise. So, for example, I live if I live next to a fire department and when they pull out, they use their sirens and that might disrupt my sleep. You kind of know you're getting into that. 
Exactly. And that is something that we've grappled with really hard here in the city because there's all this new construction. So people move into a new building and there's an empty lot or an old building next door. And then suddenly there's construction and um, and they didn't bargain for that. Um, the flip side of it is there's a, you know, entertainment venue that's been there for 40 years and people come and go late at night and make sounds and some of the music maybe filters out into the world. And I moved there yesterday um, and it woke, wakes me up. So either way, I might complain, but who, whose job is it to say I have a my complaint takes precedence over your noise creation. I thought that was your job, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. So as background in the city gets louder and louder, does that threshold keep creeping up? So it's eight decibels above something even louder and louder. Right, yeah, that is, that is an, an issue because as more noise sources come into the city, it's, it's kind of raising that, that ambient floor. The main thing that makes up ambient in the city is, is traffic. Um, and and cars as as noise sources, um, so we do you know work with the planning department and kind of think three steps ahead or try to as much as we can for new development in the city. One of one of the things that that you want to think about with with noise is not only the intensity, so how loud it is, but the duration too. So if you're actually say we don't want to allow jackhammers at all anymore, then that construction project over at, you know, new residential building B, um, instead of taking a, a year and a half, it's going to take two years, two and a half years. Um, and that brings all the noise sources with it as well, exposing people for maybe less noise, but um, longer duration. You don't want people to be exposed to noise sources too long, but you also want to try and control that intensity as much as possible. There's such a wide range of, of noise levels, just let alone in this city. Um, it's really hard to compare, I think, city to city because, I mean, you might have we, – we have places in the sunset that are, you know, below 40 decibels, 30 decibels. Um, and then we have, you know, places in, in Soma in the financial district that rarely get below 60 decibels ambient. This is a pet peeve of mine. Both of you can talk to it. And it's easy, it's easier than a jackhammer, which is – a leaf blower. Those are the bane of my existence because they have very, very high pitch. I go outside, look out the window, and I see someone like blowing three leaves around. Surely like a rake. Like what should I say to my neighbors whose gardeners, it's not even them, it's the gardeners are using a leaf blower. Like how do I, how do I engage in that social interaction? That's a good question. I'm I'm right with you on that one. I hate leaf blowers. I wish they would all go away, and I am all for just completely outlawing them uh, as far as use. Not only does it create um, an exorbitant amount of noise, you're absolutely right. There's probably equally as efficient ways of doing it, and not to mention it's it's kind of getting back to what you were saying about the particulate matter. It's basically kicking all of that stuff up into the air. So it's not only noise. Um, it it's air quality. Um, usually they're you know gasoline-powered or diesel-powered. Um, there's some of the electric ones, which actually tend to be a little bit quieter. Um, but I'm with you. Yeah, those things those things need to go. So um, I will talk to your neighbor, and we'll get those things all, all sorted out for you. We'll solve all your problems, basically. Awesome. It seems like we're very encouraging and embracing of 
construction. How did we decide that we should be seven days a week allowing construction noise as opposed to other cities that have just five or six days? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I don't know how much thought was putting into it being seven days, but once seven days existed, rolling it back becomes a lot harder. It's about trade-offs and it is about the culture of the city and the elected officials as well. I think that anti-leaf blower um, ordinance has come up before, but never goes anywhere. It seems to really impact uh, the nature of livability in a city. Well, one of the areas of research that I've been really interested in is this idea that you can almost immunize people against the irritation of noise by providing quiet places for them. So as somebody who enjoys the wilderness, you know the rejuvenation and improvement in like your level of patience and your general overall feeling of well-being when you're in a quiet place. And there has been some research that actually shows that if you provide like a well, a park, um, or even a quiet location like a library, that actually improves an individual's ability to biochemically handle the response to a difficult noise. What's happening when, when we hear irritating sounds? In the moment that you have an irritating sound, a lot of different things, sort of that stress reaction can kick in. So you have cortisol might go up, your heart rate might go up, your breathing might change, you might start to like sweat or get anxious. Um, And then the problem is that on a long-term level, those reactions can lead to long-term chronic problem, health problems. There is, again, also a difference between your individual and then, you know, here we are talking actually about public health. So the as a population, we have to make decisions um, about how we regulate noise for the population as a whole. And then as individuals, unique people can make their own decisions about how they manage their own personal responses. You could have a bunch of people who have a really strong reaction and a bunch of people who have a really weak reaction. And then the average on the population level is that there's no problem. But we do care about the problematic reactions that people have to noises that we can manage. And now word from our sponsor, Thrive Market. Ten years ago, the United Nations showed that the livestock industry is one of the biggest contributors to some of the planet's most serious environmental problems. According to the report, farm animals contribute more to global warming than the entire transportation sector. This year, Americans achieved another record. This time, it's because our nation consumed more meat than ever before. And yet, if we're going to get the planet back on track, we have to take action on things we can control, like the food we consume. It can be daunting to change such an ingrained part of our life as what we eat, which is why I love Thrive Market. It's a revolutionary online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everybody. 
just the other day, I bought some organic coconut milk from Thrive Market for $1.99, which costs $3.79 at Safeway. It just doesn't make sense that organic groceries should cost more than highly processed foods. And at Thrive Market, they don't. At Thrive Market, you can filter the food by your values and your dietary preferences and see only products that make sense for you. Whether you're vegan or gluten-free or paleo, you can be confident that whatever you buy is good for you and for the planet. And here's the best part. Thrive Market is giving Podger Perth listeners 25% off your first order and a free 30-day trial. Simply go to thrivemarket.com slash podship. And remember, Thrive Market is already 50% off and now they're giving you an extra 25% discount. There are no codes. Just make sure to type in thrivemarket.com slash podship and the discount will be applied at checkout. Many of us will be making our grocery run this week, so why not give Thrive Market a try and shop from your home? Now back to our conversation with June Weintraub and Jonathan Piakas on noise pollution. So Jonathan, when people phone up and they have a particular problem, nine cats in the house next door, what do you tell people to do? Right. So there, there's a number of those where we have just no regulatory authority. We do try to play kind of go between between the, the two parties um, and just try to get them to communicate together. A lot of the times they, uh, the people that call it won't have had any contact with the, with the person. We would be their, their first contact that they're letting anyone know about. So we try and bring, you know, the two parties together. And if it's something that is kind of ridiculous and, and we, we can talk to them and, and most people are pretty uh, reasonable. Of course, there's always times that we can't do that. Um, and, and there's just no cooperation between the two parties. Um, sometimes we do refer cases over to a, a third party mediator. What about like, physical things that people can do like double glazed windows or noise canceling headphones i will try and at least point people in the in the right directions the new residential buildings you know they have hardwood floors and you know it's a very clean look everything is you know nice and neat and reflective surfaces and everything and that does create more noise as i always tell people there's always something you can do to reduce the noise but cost is obviously an issue feasibility is obviously an issue if it was as easy as let's just acoustically insulate this building that would be amazing i, I sign me up for that but um that's not always just a feasible are there any building standards that relate to noise so that when you're building a new building next to a freeway for instance mm-hmm. um that they do have to have certain requirements to prevent you from getting all that ambient noise. So that magical number of 45 is like is what we like to see inside. So um, they're required to do uh, acoustical studies um, based on what the ambient is outside um, and then build the building such that all of that noise inside would not be more than 45 decibels on, on the inside. Very, very difficult to enforce. So it's the only way to really do it in a jurisdiction, in a county, in a city, um, is, is with the a team approach from a number of different agencies. What does 45 mean? How did you come up with that scientifically? Those noise limits in, in our noise ordinance is based on the World Health Organization's um, recommendations. So these folks, they're, they're being exposed to sound higher than that World Health Organization level, like, how how do you contextualize that for people who call in from that neighborhood? Yeah, it's it's definitely an issue. One of the big things with with noise is 
we've taken actually from the occupational setting. So being an industrial hygienist, we're mostly normally concerned with occupational health. So how much is a worker being exposed to during the day? We've actually, the whole noise community, I think, in, in the United States has kind of taken that um, idea of a daily dose and applied it just to outside of the the workplace. So it might be as you're walking to work, you're being exposed to, to more noise just because the ambient noise is is higher. But the, the reality is, I think the estimation is we spend somewhere between 10 and 13 hours just in a in our residence, um, whether it's sleeping or, or just, you know, watching TV and everything like that. So if we can make sure that those noise levels are are cut down, we take that whole daily dose of noise and and reduce it um, to hopefully reduce the any health impacts that, that would come from that. Some of these consultants will do something like measure the sound on uh, in the mission on uh, Cinco de Mayo at 11 a.m. Um, and that's going to be a really noisy day. But it can be useful for them to establish the ambient as higher um, because then it sets them up for maybe not having to be responsible when sounds are high later. Isn't that cheating? We try to pay special attention to that and call that out when we see it. And sometimes if we'll issue a notice of violation and it's nowhere even close to the limit, our recommendation, because we can't require it, but our recommendation is to reach out to the to the experts and they'll they're great with designs of, you know, noise abatement features or everything else. They can they can tell you exactly what to do to get you below the limit. So Fleet Week is a, you know, a military parade over our city with very, very loud jets that shake the house. How do you get sound to a level that it is reasonable? This comes back to kind of setting the expectations of the community. With Fleet Week, there's also vibrational. So it's so loud that it vibrates the house Vibration is tough. Um, it's even, I think, more more difficult than than noise to to enforce. It, it's kind of one of those things when you you know sign on for the, the having the blue angels at, at the event. You, you're kind of just accepting and kind of know that's going to happen. And there's not not much you can do about it. I think the number of people that are out there and enjoying it probably outweighs the the number of complaints. So that's something that probably goes way above us um, in determining. Um, how they do that. Are you guys brought in to help the board of supervisors make noise pollution decisions? Yes, all, all the time. And, and now, unfortunately, I feel like we're kind of always like the naysayers because we're always like, that sounds like a terrible idea because that's going to create a lot of noise issues. Um, and we unfortunately have to say that a lot. It seems like noise pollution gets pretty short shrift. If someone's polluting San Francisco Bay or even the Pacific, we're rightly up in arms. But very few seem concerned about the health impacts noise has on our city residents. That is an excellent point. It comes back to that social question um, that one person's noise is another person's you know, music. But June, that isn't true after a certain level. At 110 decibels, that isn't true. That isn't like a, a taste issue. Like 110 decibels is bad for everyone we have all of this nice clarity about what we can impose and enforce. But truly, 110 decibels um, for a split second, that's not going to cause hearing damage. Um, it, again, you know, might 
give me a cortisol boost. My own personal experience with the Blue Angels is that it comes as a surprise. I'm never tuned into the fact that today's Blue Angels Day, and I'll be here in my office, and suddenly there's this giant sound, and a bunch of car alarms go off, and the vibration, and it's actually scary. I did have the chance to go out on the water and watch the Blue Angels last year. I knew when they were coming, and they were still the same loudness, but it did not inspire the same like biochemical reaction. So June, let's just say hypothetically, San Francisco continues on the noise trajectory that it's on, and we get to a place where we're at 91 decibels, so above what OSHA says it should be. Like what? What interventions would you need to put in place? So that is the idea behind the noise ordinance with the intention to make sure that new things happening didn't contribute to, didn't put us on the path to a noisier city, but rather put us on a path to a quieter city. When you look at that significant difference between ambient noise in one neighborhood and another, is there anything particular... Construction is an issue because we have so much development in, in that part, but that is also a, a temporary um, thing. It's, it's going to temporarily raise the ambient and the overall noise level in the in the area, but that will eventually be done. But it's also part of, you know, you might have one street of Soma being very, very loud, and then two streets away, it's actually pretty quiet. It'd be cool to, now that June was saying that you can monitor decibel levels on your iPhone, it'd be cool to get a crowdsourced a map that citizens could use. It's definitely something that we would look into. I worry that we're becoming an increasingly noisy city. Do you guys share that concern? I've been in some really noisy cities before and found it to be overwhelming. I think people who live in those environments get used to it and don't necessarily even realize that um, that it might be having a detrimental effect on their health. I think a big part of what we do here in the health department is is actually just help people come to peace with their environment, figuring out how to get along with their neighbor. People are really excited about like energy efficiency or electric vehicles or you know all these other technologies. No, I don't hear a lot of excited people talking about wow, there's incredible noise reduction technologies for cities. Like I've never even seen an article about it. How do you make noise reduction sexy again? You know what? Had, or and again, I don't think it ever has been. Um, but how can we do that? What happens from that is a health benefit. Um, that's a challenge. It's something we're kind of looking forward to, to tackling in the future and are also here asking for a, a bunch of help. So I guess stay tuned on that. We're going to try and make noise reduction sexy again, I guess. Thanks to June Weintraub and Jonathan Piakas for spending the time with us today and for talking through both the challenges and opportunities for noise reduction strategies. The day I spent recording sounds around San Francisco left me with a migraine. I truly hope this podcast didn't do the same for you. As much as I thought I could tune out noise pollution, I now find the opposite is true. I've now become alert to each and every noise around me. And you know what? They never seem to end. This whole issue has really made me yearn deeply for being back in nature, where they're often loud sounds, but they're not mechanical. 
One big takeaway is that if you live in a community that currently only allows construction for five or six days a week, don't let the city council increase it to six or seven. And let's follow the lead of Carmel, California, who in 1975 banned leaf blowers. More than 400 cities have since joined in keeping the peace by bringing back the simple rake and banning leaf blowers in their communities. Even Los Angeles has banned leaf blowers within 500 feet of people's homes. It's time for San Francisco and your city to do the same. Other new technologies can also significantly reduce noise. Quiet asphalt pavement can reduce highway noise pollution by as much as 7 decibels. Today, more than 200 miles of freeways in Metro Phoenix have been paved with rubberized asphalt. Residents near freeways commented on being able to actually hold conversations without shouting. Noise pollution is the final frontier for the environmental movement, which has ignored the health and community impacts of this blight for way too long. Next week, I go in search of peace and salmon on a fishing boat in the Pacific. Please like our show on the Apple Podship Earth page. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey. A special thanks this week to sound engineer Rob Spate for having to link together all of my street recordings. Thanks also to producer Nancy Ferranti, executive producer David Kahn, and for me, Jer Blumenfeld, have a very 